And we're back. My name is Laia. I'm Justin. And I'm Rachel. We're here at season three. Yes. And as you know, a lot can happen in three years. This episode, we circle back with two Love & Grit all-stars who have amplified their vision into even more world-renowned spaces while showing us all what keeping in Philly really means. Janine A. Cook talks growing Harriet's bookstores nationwide and calls from Oprah. Chef Omar Tate and his wife Sybil continue to build a food empire fit to serve West Philly while being recognized by Time and Esquire magazines. Yup, they just happen to be making Black history. Speaking of, our Philly fave topic today is what is your favorite place to honor Black History Month in Philadelphia? I would definitely say the African-American Museum in Philadelphia any month, any day. And it's truly a place for, I guess, exploration of historic, current and future Black experiences. Um, AMP is so important to our region, our nation. It definitely plays an important role by serving as the hub to the region's other Black experience institutions and venues. I learned so much when the three of us toured the Colored Girls Museum. Oh, yeah. It was like one of the first times we were all together. It's such an interesting place in Germantown. It's not the Franklin Institute. It's not the Philadelphia Museum of Art, but it's just so cool and Mm. special. Yep, it's an iconic jewel as well. Absolutely. I had so many choices, but I was like, you know what? I would say one of my my favorite places is a place where you can find all kinds of information on Black history. And that's one of your favorite bookstores, whether it be Uncle Bobby's or Harriet's. I would say that would be a dope place to honor Black history. Take a moment, go to a bookstore. Don't just buy the book. But this time around, sit down. Mm, I like that. They're both dope environments to soak in all of that. So why you just said read more and talk less. I'll say you better do this (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. Let's get season three started, guys. Listen, Janine A. Cook has been booked and busy. When last she appeared on Love and Grit, we spoke about her one amazing bookstore, Harriet's, and her phenomenal social justice work. Fast forward a little over a year later, and she's opened up another bookshop. Hey, Ida's been featured in the New York Times and an award-winning documentary. Oh, Will Smith made a visit. Oprah is calling. And now Janine is vowing her silence for a month. Yep, we have a lot to catch up on. So I've decided, and this has been, I've been really fighting this one and I didn't want to do it, but I'm going to do it. There's been this urge to do a vow of silence, especially during February, you know, because I'm just looking and there's some things that I'm seeing that I'm like not feeling. And there's some things that I think I need to sit with and really like do some my own internal observation on in terms of like what we really want to see happen in this country, in this world, and like and how we plan on getting ourselves there, you know? And I think that if we don't take the time, if I don't take the time to create a plan, somebody else is going to create a plan for me, you know? And so that's just not going to work. Mm-hmm. I know. This is my first time doing it and I'm going to okay. do it almost like Ramadan. So I'll only do it from sun up to sundown. Dependent, and I, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to unfold. I don't know if I'm going to like be like I'm staying in silence. You know, I don't know. So we'll see. Um, but you can't stay in silence. We need your voice. Yeah, <laughs> that's the other thing, right? It's just like, yo, I've I've lent the world my voice, and I get to like take some time and like really reflect on what's happened. 
I need to take some time and, and just make some real decisions. You know, I think we don't really take that time, right? Well, when, most of us don't think know, we have it. Yeah. Have like a month to like, not talk during work hours? What are you saying? Yo, yo. Well, that just so happens that I have this bookshop and the young people work in there most days anyway now. They're basically running both bookshops. Like I'm doing like the back end, but the young folks got Good. It. You're like, like, tie these books up with some lavender so I can do no, some other work. <laughs> They be so mad at me. Like when they first start, they have to tie the lavender over and over and over. I was like, yeah, you almost got it. (laughs) Do you plan on writing in a journal every day or based on one of the articles that you wrote? I think it was Motherly Magazine at one point. Mm -hmm. I believe you're into meditation as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So will you use that time to meditate? Are you trying to write more? When I first started the bookshops, that was my first initial thing was like, okay, this little tiny 500 square feet. Like when people come, like people like, can I do events at Harriet? I'm like, have y'all been to Harriet? It is very, (laughs) very tiny. You know, it's not that. And when I started, I thought it was just going to be like a space where I sat and wrote. And, you know, I figured people would come from time to time and buy a book, but I didn't think it would be no idea it would be what it has become. Right. And and what has it become? Catch us. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I'll go by the places where I could never imagine being. I'll go by like somebody from Oprah's team reached out to me last week. Wow. And of course, during like I'm going into this vow of silence. So it's like that makes you more interesting. Let's be honest. (laughs) She can write emails in the evening. Yeah. Right. After the sun. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. And schedule it to go out before. (laughs) Uh, So this will come out. You know what I mean? So all the things that I've been doing will come out. Mm -hmm. Right. So this will come out in February. Like our mutual fund will start. Say what now? A mutual fund, Janine? A mutual fund. Yeah. And it's specifically for Black women-owned businesses right now. That's where we're starting because that's what I know. That's the world I I know. Okay. Yo, exactly. And it's a matter of like, oh, I want to start something, but I don't have the resources to start. Or I started something, it's fly, but I don't have the the resources to keep it flying. You know? And I'm like, okay, boom. Especially in being in Collingswood. Like, y'all, I'm in Collingswood too. (laughs) Congratulations. Can we talk talk about that? Was it always a part of your business plan to also have this other location or tell us a little bit more about that? So in the biggest imagination of what it is that's possible, like when Mm. I'm like super dreaming, there's one in every state. And there's a way for us to like have this connected network that's yes, buy books. Books are what are going to sustain and fund it and make it keep going. But the network, though, is the part that's going to shake things up. Right. And that's Ida. Ida, you know, so I speak a lot about Harriet because that's where we started. But there's also like Ida has this rich history. Why they got an Ida B. Wells dog coming out right now? Why? Why right right. now? Because Ida is speaking and she's making her presence known. What I would say is that you don't want to like let those things be commodified. This is my big one for y'all. Please listen to this. What is ours is ours. And you get to decide what is yours and you get to create a boundary around what's sacred so that everything doesn't become somebody else's commodity. Right. Mm. Like everything is not for sale. And in America, I know sometimes we get that a little twisted. Right. And especially Mm -hmm. because of the history of things here. And people forget, like, these are human lives, mm-hmm. right? They were talking about, yo, you don't get to just take something of somebody else's and then flip it and sell it back to them. And without putting no resources towards reparations and repairing the harm that has happened on this land. Like, we have work to do. 
Uh-huh. That's the word. You really about to be quiet, huh? Mm-mm. I know it's amazing. Somebody who speaks this profoundly is yes. going to be quiet for a month. I know. So let's talk about delivering books on horseback because you did that while we. Uh, <laughs> what's going on here? That Mid Atlantic Horse Magazine. You are on the cover. What? That was funny because first of all, shouts to Fletcher Street Riding yes. Club. I really yeah. want y'all to get into them. That's another example of yo. There's a whole movie that comes out about this group that's from mm-hmm. Philly. Yes. Were they taken care of in that process? Did that situation make it better for them to do? the work that they're doing or did it make it, it harder like we got to ask ourselves these questions Janine you know the answer did I was to say, come on Janine child, did what you think I'm doubting it all right Exactly. Okay then. All right. right? Okay. And like, okay. and it's just like that's a part of it. It's just like, oh. But anyway, Fletcher Street. Those are some cool folks. They're really cool people. I think I got a thing for cool people. Like I go find cool people. You see, like the people who do the music and whatnot. Like I just go find. I've been looking for cool people, but the art. I'd be like, oh, who? So this person's so freaking fly, you know. And so the Fletcher Street people. They, I just thought they were so cool. I was like, bring the horse to the bookshop. Like let's figure out what we could do together. And we've continued to work together. And that's how that came about. Started. First, it was just See, like, oh, I love let's, that. Let's do a photo shoot together. So we did the photo shoot together. And then it was just like, well, let's start going out into the community. That's what I like to do. Let's put our feet on the ground. Because you are such a community connector and, you know, everything cool and all that. Can you tell us about this culture crawl? Yo, this is like a New Orleans. I've been to New Orleans. They have like these ghost story tours. Okay, cool. We could do our own version of something similar where it's like this specific tour supports Black women-owned businesses. Yes, I have a specific interest in Black women-owned businesses as one, right? Mm -hmm. And and, and recognizing the unique complications that belong to that group. We don't have to stop here, but we could start here. So to me, it's just like, okay, we know 40% of Black women-owned businesses closed during the pandemic. Yep. And when folks hear that number, I feel like sometimes they don't grasp the significance of that. That's like if four people out of 10 of your family members just like, boom, they don't have their income anymore. What are they supposed to do? And if they're Black women, many of them are also taking care of other people, Hmm. right? And that's really Mm -hmm. serious. And so I was like, okay, okay, okay. So what can we do? And when people are like, well, why did you do this or that? I'm like, well, it seemed like there was a hole right there. I was thinking maybe we could try to fix it, at least try. And so it was like, OK, that's where the, the trolley tour comes from. Yeah. And so it's the sisterhood sitting. You'll get a chance to go to five black women owned businesses. You'll start with at Harriet's. We'll have a little music. Of course, you can pick up a book. You'll go to Franny Lou's mm-hmm. and Franny has a specialty drink for the tour that she created, which is really sweet. You'll nice. go to Yowie, you'll go to Marsha Maine, and you'll go to Freedom Apothecary, and then you'll come back to Harriet's, and that's the tour. And I we have like that. You'll have a special guest tour guide, and we'll do some, like, planning for the future on these tours, right? Like, let's start making some decisions about what we want to see. I feel responsible, and I feel a very strong sense of urgency about what needs and gets to happen for the future like I feel that there are certain things and like maybe we might not realize that we're at a more pivotal moment than we understood but it feels very pivotal right now it feels very very important and like getting to a point where we're making unified decisions like relearning how to do that is really important I don't know I don't know how to describe the sense of urgency that I feel and the sense of responsibility right as long as it's not too heavy right Janine it ain't too heavy is it I'll lay my, down my burden during the vow of silence. Okay. You know, I'll mm-hmm. let somebody, I'll let some of it out. But I do, I do feel responsible and I feel that there's an urgency. What drives that for you? Like, is there anything certain? Is the day-to-day news or is this now just like a calling? 
I picture the world that my great great grandchildren will inherit. I really picture it. I try to like sit with that thought, like what would it look like for them? And when I see certain things, certain things in our society look like they're not really getting better. They look like mm-hmm. they're getting worse. It's not woody woo. It's like basic. Like if we look at the climate issues, right? Like, well, okay, we know that there are certain things that are happening that are happening right before our eyes. And I think that there are certain things that we could do if we were a more organized group, if we were like people who had similar values were a more organized group and not no gang mentality. Oh, I'm red. Oh, I'm blue. I'm more talking about like, I value, I deeply value the unifying principle of humanity. Like I deeply value a better world for my my great, great grandchildren. And I'm willing to put in some work toward that. Where to start with Chef Omar and what he and his wife Sybil have built in a few years time. When last we spoke to Omar, he was already making huge waves with his legendary honeysuckle pop-ups, which integrate the intricacies of Black life and culture into his food. Fast forward, the honeysuckle brand is going brick and mortar with cafes, grocery stores, and community centers, all while Omar and Sybil continue to innovate and impress food's best, garnering Omar a position on Time 100 Next List and as Esquire Magazine's top chef. Oh, and they had a baby. Hey, little Jupiter. The last time we saw you, it was a James Beard Foundation event. You were glowing. It was mommy and daddy's night out. (laughs) You had your babysitter. Yes, yes, that was was a great night. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. That was so much fun. We don't do that often enough. Of course, it has to be hard. And especially the two of you working together is amazing to me. I need to know those secrets and how to <laughs> What do you mean you need to know those secrets? Rob does all your work. Set but he says he doesn't work for me. That's what he tells me every <laughs> single time. And I see smiles. I get eye rolls. So I'm, I need to know this secret. But <laughs> well, we're just on camera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well said, Omar. Well said. You guys must be so excited, anxious, about opening Honeysuckle. This has been something you wanted to do for a long time. The pandemic brought you back to Philadelphia for it. What are you feeling? Anxiety. <laughs> Another baby on the way. <laughs> yeah. And, and we, Pretty much. We were, even when I was pregnant, we were telling folks like, yeah, we got two babies coming. We got two babies coming. And we thought that they were going to age together, but yet we are delayed by the second baby a lot of the time because of things, the supply chain, the pandemic, all these things. And so it is a lot of anxiety, but it's also just really cool because this is like something that neither of us have ever done before. And we're super blessed and we're doing it together as much as we like to joke about that. But it's just, it's been really fun. Yo, I'm all confused because I'm like, are they talking about the restaurant, the grocery store? (laughs) Are we talking about some community new directive that you're doing? I'm like, which one are we talking? (laughs) They have triplets. (laughs) Yeah, six triplets, actually. (laughs) That's what it feels like a lot of the time because the project that we're working on is so complex and layered. Yeah, can Um, you explain it a little bit more? Please. Basically, you know, Honeysuckle Provisions is it's a grocery and a cafe at its core, but it seeks to be a cultural hub. We also have a small quarter acre farm at 46th Market. And so we're growing a lot of the vegetables that we'll be serving in the store. We have a farm manager there. Our employees split their time between our production in the kitchen at about 32 hours a week and then eight hours a week with the farm or in just like personal education development. 
And so what we're looking to do at the moment is to launch our small grocery cafe footprint at 48th and Spruce until we grow into our larger space that will be on 52nd Street. And then uh, what happens to 48th and Spruce when you go to the larger? It just exists as a cafe. Don't cafe. say just. <laughs> like, that's amazing in itself. Do you get tired of the questions of, okay, so when is it opening and, and what's the deadline? I feel like it's when you're planning a wedding or you just get engaged and people are like, so when's the wedding? When's the wedding? How many people? How do you feel about all those questions? At first, it was a little embarrassing, I think, a little bit, because it's just like, we're going to open in November. No, we're going to open in January. No, we're going to open in April. We don't necessarily get tired of it because there's a new answer every time. I think it's just a matter of just really practicing patience with the whole process. And, and that question, you can't even people are excited about it. They want it to happen just as much as we do. Just for numbers sake, that's two brick and mortars. It's two, two brick and mortars and a two, farm. And a farm. Yeah. And a farm. So let me ask this question, because you guys are in a rare group of people, especially as a couple. Right. It's funny. I'm, I'm talking to y'all and I'm thinking about Asian fatigue from Kindred to Family Soul, where mm. you work together, you build together. There's a larger reason for what you do. I'm curious, what does a day look like for the tapes from the beginning <laughs> to the end? Oh, I like that question. Well, Jupiter's lately been getting up at four o'clock in the morning yeah. or waking mm. up at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And Sybil Lovely. wakes up with him. We typically have meetings that begin at 9 a.m. And we are also feeding him around that time, doing a lot of ordering and things for our employees. We have a staff size of six right now. So we check in with them every morning as well, make sure they have everything that they need. And then in the afternoon, hopefully he goes down for a nap. And then we have our strategy sessions too. We work closely with our our CFO, uh, Michael Cooper, who's not only a good numbers guy, but he also kind of balances us a bit. You know, working as a couple is great, but having that third person to kind of just like be that tiebreaker sometimes is yes. necessary. Mm-hmm. And so we, we have a lot of strategy sessions with him on a daily basis. It's always a mad dash to make dinner. So we're always <laughs> talking about what the dinner plan is. And nine times out of 10, it doesn't go that way. <laughs> but it's really a lot of meetings, a lot of talking, a lot of kind of checking in with our team. We found a lot of beauty in the experience of having dinner together as a family. Because that is pretty much the only time we have in the day where, like, you know, the outside world is we're not really talking about our meetings. We're not taking any meetings. We're not writing anything down. So getting into cooking and having dinner together as a family, even though, like, we are home a lot of the time together, that's the moment in the day where I feel like it's not work. What y'all eat last night? (laughs) She's so nosy. I'm sorry. I mean, because their backgrounds are so diverse. So I'm like, what? We had Haitian food last night, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a popular Haitian dish called griot, and it's fried pork. It's actually twice cooked pork and with rice and beans and um, Shame, oh fish fritters. Yeah. And plantain. and plantain. So I finally got to get to one of your dinners this Ooh, summer. About it. it was the Coltrane Symposium. Oh, yeah. oh. And it was in a graveyard. Mm. And it was like one of the best nights of my life. It was just so peaceful and cool. Talk about how you guys got involved in that. And what I think so interesting is you do that with food. Yeah. I mean, I think that both of us have this quality of just understanding nothing's ever superficial. Both of us come from a position of understanding food through the lens of history and family and and people. And when you can extrapolate those things, you find that there's always more to add contextually to a meal or any sort of discipline that you're working through. 
with the Coltrane dinner, we had large conversations around, particularly around Alice Coltrane, because she's a, a musician in her own right, a prolific musician that is, a, a spiritual and thought leader in her own right. Mm-hmm. And so much of that weekend that was produced through the good brother Anya Love was about Coltrane the man and, and, and the music. But truly, especially in the later half of his life, we wanted to show how Alice Coltrane was able to help amplify and take him to the space where, you know, there's that that landmark piece of uh, a love supreme being created. And talk about how you go about planning any meal, because it's always unique. It was a lot of research. It's a lot of just understanding the impression you want to give the the guest dining. A lot of it is art, right? And he is so masterful with art, with his words, with his food, with his writing. So I think the process is, is a lot of just sitting down and focusing with the subject, reading, researching, listening to music and developing things from there. One of the dishes was based on the diet that Coltrane had. Just another element that Alice brought to his life. So Alice took on a Vedic diet. And um, John Coltrane was also vegetarian or vegan for the last few years of his life. Actually, it was really hard to find these materials because no one really documented what he ate. I found one quote where one person mentioned that he had a diet of hazelnuts, lettuce, and raw eggs, basically, for a significant period of his creative um, time period. And we were like, well, what are we going to do with that? What y'all do with that? So Whatever it was, it was good. I, I, I remember the hazelnuts. <laughs> well, understanding Hinduism through the lens of Alice Coltrane, we know that vegetarianism and eggplant is a substantial vegetable and a lot of what they eat. And so we just confit it with coconut oil, which is also very common in Indian cooking and several different spices to create a piece of eggplant that almost ate like meat, but then was a glue to all the other pieces that John held in his life. And so then the hazelnuts came in, then the fresh lettuce came in, and the, the egg became a cured egg yolk for a savory aspect that we shaved over top, kind of like Parmesan cheese, and then it was plated on this very feminine plate, which was like really beautiful to kind of express where this inspiration was coming from. So it really does require an abstract and, and openness and almost like a submission to right. a, a guidance through right. the literature that we read. What's the division of labor between you two on a project? Ooh, that varies. That varies, yeah. Well, for, so okay. So for Coltrane, we knew that Omar's relationship to John Coltrane was a lot more, uh, it was deeper than mine. Mm. Um, so Omar took the lead on a lot of the Coltrane elements, whereas for the day of, the decor and the flow of the of the evening, and we create altars at our experiences. And so I was able to take the lead on that, create an altar for Alice Coltrane and an altar. Lord, please get me to one of these experiences. Which was so beautiful. <laughs> Just unexpected and beautiful. Beautiful. Mm. It was like a grotto with candles and pictures and records in the middle of a graveyard. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Honoring. Just wow. Yeah. And so for Charleston, I'm taking care of the menu. Omar is creating artwork. So he'll take care of the of the decor elements and kind of the the minutiae of the dining experience. When we're purchasing and we're thinking about decor, particularly with like tableware, Sybil's family is matriarchal. Haitian culture, Haitian heritage is largely matriarchal. The way that I've learned about Black food ways through the lens of Southern and soul food, it's almost always matriarchal. I can't even think of like, what what does a patriarchal plate look like? It's probably just broken and thrown up against the wall. (laughs) Which is okay. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest with you, so... We both we both really lean into that that fact when it comes to the decision making on tableware. Yeah. Did we talk about it or did we hear how did you guys first meet? 
<laughs> and I had the audacity to call you nosy like when you asked what they ate for dinner. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we actually met cooking a dinner together at Charleston Wine and Food Festival. Actually, our good friend BJ Dennis was hosting a dinner about um, food from the African diaspora. Mm-hmm. We've heard of each other. Social media is, is great and all, uh, but we never actually met in real life. As corny as it sounds, it was literal love at first sight. And then the pandemic happened like two weeks after we met and I moved back to Philly. And- is this short? This is yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm so happy for you guys. Yeah. As you guys grow and you are growing, I'm so curious the conversations you have to make sure that not that it could completely ever be lost, but you know how as people become more commercialized and whatnot, what kind of conversations do you have between each other to make sure that you stay grounded in the principles that you met in and built this business and movement with? Jupiter brings us a lot of grounding. Right, right. <laughs> you know? Not only that, my stepson, Omar's oldest son, Bashir, brings us a lot of grounding. Yeah, Bashir. He's a teenager in the city right now, right? And so having these conversations about the future and what that looks like and what we want that to look like and the, and the role we want to play in that is grounding. Yeah. Philadelphia is a great reality check, period. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, my mom still lives in the hood. She lives at 42nd and Parish. Bashir goes to Benjamin Franklin High School. You know, it's just like... A lot of black folks are raised with this mentality of getting out of the hood, right? You got to get out of the hood. And we don't want to do that. That's why we're choosing to open in West Philadelphia on a corridor that's been like allegedly blighted, but actually has been ignored. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, where does that blight come from? The grounding in the work is reorienting our sense of self and, and creating places that are already black, established as black, as the center of the universe. You know what I mean? And so people Ooh. don't want to get out of the hood. People Ooh. want to build in the hood. That's yeah. like where we want to be. Yeah. And that reminds me of Octavia Butler. And we're such mm-hmm. huge fans and black futures, really knowing what we want to create for ourselves and thinking about this black future that is going to exist at Honeysuckle is important. What great guests. Absolutely. It felt like a family reunion. And we're honored that they wanted to return. Listen, that says Omar returned with the whole family. So he sure <laughs> did. And Baby Jupiter. It's always nice to circle back to our love and great guests and see that they're doing even better than when we first talked to them. It's like, amazing so yes. how much progress both yeah. Janine and Omar have made since we talked to them for the first time a couple years ago. Yeah. It's really exciting. During COVID. Yes. <laughs> During a pandemic. Yes. All right, check out more at Love Grit Philly on Twitter or Instagram, and we'll talk to you next time right here on Love and Grit. Bye.